Hello, and welcome to the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Loughran. I'm a senior agent at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency, where I rep authors and illustrators of children's books, from picture books through young adult, and everything in between. Here on the podcast, I bring my publishing expert friends to dish the dirt on all things kidlit. I've been traveling a lot lately, first for the Bologna Book Fair in Italy, which I did an episode about back in March, and then on a vacation with my family and a writer's conference. So thank you for bearing with me on this brief hiatus. The Literati Cast is back. Huzzah! Today, I'm especially excited because I'm going to be speaking to a good friend who is also a fantastic bookstore buyer. That is to say, she's fantastic at being a bookstore buyer, and she buys for a fantastic bookstore. Before I introduce her, though, I realize a couple of things. First of all, we're probably going to get into a bit of jargon. So just so everyone is on the same page, so to speak, I want to decode this for you in advance. So what do I mean when I say buyer? The buyer is literally the person who curates the selection of a bookstore. They choose all the new books to bring in every season. Um, Rep. The publisher sales rep is the person who works at the publisher who helps guide the buyer's purchasing decisions. Reps might cover several states in the nation as their territory, but it's their job to know the clientele and style of each store so they can best advise the buyer. A huge publisher like Random House or something might have more than one rep in a territory. Maybe they have one doing kids and one doing adult, for example. And smaller publishers might not have their own rep. They share a rep. It's called a commission rep that represents a bunch of smaller publishers at once. So front list. Front list are the forthcoming brand, brand new books coming out from a publisher. Most of the media hits and ads are for front list books. Most of the books that are on the Times bestseller list are front list books. Um, These are just the shiny, brand new, beautiful books that come out usually every Tuesday. Backlist. Um, But backlist, a great backlist is what keeps bookstores and publishers both afloat. Backlist is all the other books. That's from classics to books that came out a year ago and are now in paperback. That's backlist, baby. (laughs) It does not get the hype and glam of the front list books, but it's basically the most important thing because that is where the bulk of royalties come from. I tell my clients it's great and amazing if you have a hit when a book is brand new, but what is even better is if your books have staying power and backlist well. That is what enables people to have careers as writers. So some of you listeners who are new might not realize that in addition to being an agent, I'm a lifelong bookseller. My older sister owned a bookstore when I was a kid. I started working there in some capacity before I was old enough to even know to ask for money. (laughs) And in fact, I still help out at my local indie bookstore on weekend mornings when I'm home and not bopping around at writers' conferences and such. Here's the thing. I don't have to work at the bookstore. I spend a lot more money there than I make, though admittedly the employee discount is superb. Um, I don't have to work there. I love to work there. For me, having a great independent bookstore in the neighborhood is a real boon. I love to see what kids are actually reading and responding to, to see all the new books as they come out, and I love to attend and sometimes host events for super cool authors that they pass through town. Uh, While I can't deny that there's a convenience factor to just ordering online, When I get to browse my indie, I invariably find treasures that I didn't even know I needed. And I get recommendations from the knowledgeable staff, and I get inspired. And the money I spend goes to a business that actually supports my local community. So I love independent bookstores in general. 
But I might be a bit biased when I say that my local store, Oblong Books, is an especially awesome store. My guest today, Susanna Hermans, is an owner and the buyer for Oblong Books and Music, which has two stores in the Hudson Valley in New York. This past year, she was named one of five women trailblazers in our community. She was a judge for the National Book Awards, Young People's Category, and she was a seat filler at the Tony Awards. Let me get Susanna on the line. Hi, Susanna. Hi, Jen. Yay, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So for those listeners who might not know, um, can you tell us a bit about your bookstores? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, our stores were, well, our first store was founded in 1975 by my dad, Dick Hermans, and his partner, Holly Nelson. Um, So I literally got to grow up in a bookstore, Um, you know. I went there every day after preschool and just was let, let loose Aww. in the bookstore. <laughs> Baby um, bookseller. Yeah. I mean, I can't really complain. It was pretty, pretty rad. Um, and then in 2001, we opened our second location. Uh, the first one is in Millerton, New York. And the second is in Rhinebeck, New York. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that was 2001. And then I joined the business full time in 2007. Um and gosh, that was a long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, growing up in the bookstore, I mean, I'm also a lifelong bookseller, so I understand that. But um, when you were growing up in the store, did you know that that's what you wanted to do as a grown up, or did you have other aspirations? No, you know, I I sort of was a big theater nerd, and I still am to this day. Um, but at that point, I wanted to be an actor, and so that's what I went to study. Um, I studied that in college, and then sort of it came to me that even though I love theater so much, I don't actually want it to be my job. So um, then I thought, oh, hey, what am I good at? Uh, oh, I'm good at selling books. We have these bookstores. I've, I, you know, this, this could be a thing. And then, uh, then it was a thing. And then I came back and joined the business. And I haven't regretted it at all because it's a perfect fit for me. Have you noticed, I have noticed, have you noticed that there are a lot of theater people in publishing? It's freaky. I mean, I can't believe how many people I discover after knowing them for some time that they are big theater nerds or studied theater or were directors. Or, you know, I mean, it's really my, I mean, my theory is that it's because we all really love stories um, that sort of. And also we're all used to, we're used to not getting paid very much. Oh, all that. I mean, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> So I've lived in the Hudson Valley for eight years. And in that time, I've seen Oblong expand and go from strength to strength. Yeah. To what do you attribute the success? You know, I think we're, we're just, it's, an, it's a couple of things. One, we have an incredible staff of booksellers who um, supports the, the store from the ground up. We have an incredible community of readers, of local readers, um, who value independent businesses. And we also have the the benefit of being, we're about, about two hours north of New York City. We're a beautiful place to visit. Um, and we have a lot of tourists, a lot of weekenders, um, p- people who have some money to spend and who are delighted to discover a, a good bookstore where they can spend it. So, you know, I think yes. the location <laughs> and, and the shop local thing and the great staff, that's sort of, that's what I'm kind of calling my, my three, three pillars. <laughs> How do you, I mean, I feel like Oblong is really a hub for the community. So how do you make your store into that? Yeah. So, I mean, we, I, I like to say that I will go anywhere that someone will have me as far as it comes to, to bringing books in, into 
different places and selling them. And, uh, you know, we work with our local schools, we do book fairs, we do school visits where we bring authors in to talk to kids and meet, meet the kids. Um, you know, we work with all of our local nonprofits, we do fundraisers, we do, you know, if they have a speaker coming, who has a book out, we'll come and sell books and donate a part of our proceeds back to that group. Um, you know, we work with our local arts organization to present, uh, if we have an author we can't fit in the bookstore because they, they're going to be too popular and we don't have that many seats, we'll co-present that with a, a local library who has a larger space or our local performing arts center. So, you know, we're, we're all about building relationships and teamwork um, and connection because, you know, if we're not helping each other, then what are we doing? Mm. Uh, any uh, amazing events recently or upcoming that you're super excited about? Yeah, um, we're still sort of working on the fall schedule right now. So we don't have I don't like have any exciting juicy stuff to share yet. But um, we were we literally just a couple of days ago had uh, an event where we partnered with Bard College and presented it in one of their venues that seats about 300 people. We had H. John Benjamin, who is the voice behind Bob's Burgers and Archer, um, talking about his new memoir. Uh, it was hilarious, so much fun. And it brought out a lot of new people who hadn't probably been to any of our events before, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I saw yeah. it all over social media. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, he was a hoot. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> and the air conditioning in the venue had broken that day. <laughs> and no. it, was, it, it was an unseasonably hot day uh, in the Hudson yeah. Valley. So it, it was, you know, I was very, I was really at how cool he was about that and how how cool the audience ended up being because it was pretty hot. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> you can't control everything. And you and I do uh, the Hudson Valley YA Society, we which do. is a YA event series. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So when you moved to the Hudson Valley, is it really eight years already? Oh my yeah, God. Literally 2010. Wow. Um, so <laughs> I think at some point um, a publisher came to us trying to tour it was like a group YA tour it was, I think it was Scholastic we're like hey can we bring these three authors to your store and I, I'm you know I'm sort of like I would love to have them but no one's gonna come because we don't do YA events and you know I don't have an audience and I think you were like well let's try it let's try it and let's try to make this a thing so here we are eight years later I don't even know how many events we've done um, under the Hudson Valley oh, YA Society banner but I think we counted that we've had over I want to say over 150 authors at least yeah, over 100 sure. but it's like um, it's become this thing and we do these awesome panel events. Um, you know, we try to b- include, uh, both a mainstream author who has a fan base and who will actually bring folks to the event and alongside debut or lesser known authors to bring them a new audience. Um, and we've had so much fun. We've had so many cool people over the years and I still, I just love doing those events. They're really some of my favorites that we do. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I have a soft spot for those for sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the great things about Oblong is for that for a relatively small store, there's a very deep and broad collection, not just of books and music, but also of sidelines like toys, stationery, yeah. unusual gifty items. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, most importantly, for the purposes of this podcast, an amazing kids section. Thanks. Yeah. We, I, I think uh, it's pretty great. So you're the buyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, it's your fault, but it's great. Okay. You yeah. um, so let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So I do. So, yeah. Yes. Go ahead. I was going to say I do all the all the buying for the store. 
um, except for our music department and our greeting cards. Uh, but other than that, I buy all the books, children's and adult, all the toys, um, and all the gift or non-book other items that we have in the store. So that's, that's pretty much a full-time job. I do a lot of other yeah. things, but that I could easily just make that one, one job. <laughs> um, yeah. So our, our, our kids section sort of is, is inspired by our original Millerton location. Um, when I was a kid, I think when I was about seven, um, my parents, were, you know, thinking about uh, needs for kids and there were no toy stores around. And they said, Hey, what if we expand the bookstore and buy a separate building and connect them and make that oblong junior. And it's going to be a full kids bookstore and toy store. So, uh, that happened when I was a kid, which is pretty rad. And mm. <laughs> so then, uh, when we, when we started our store in Rhinebeck, we had a, you know, a good kids section, but we didn't have a ton of space. And then maybe five or six years ago, we, um, expanded into one more of the, uh, units in our building and, uh, blew out another wall and built this whole larger, much more comfortable children's section. We don't have quite the same level of toys that we do in Millerton just because of space, but we still do kind of consider ourselves a full service toy store. So as a buyer, uh, we know, you know, kind of what that means mm-hmm. from just regular retail, but what season, so it is currently May yes. of 2018. What season are you buying for now? So I'm about two weeks into buying for fall 2018. Um, most of the big publishers, like the big five, most of them have, uh, three seasons a year and, uh, everybody else pretty much has two seasons a year. So, um, but everybody has a fall season. <laughs> fall is the big, mm-hmm. the big season, obviously leading up to the Christmas holiday retail season. Um, so yeah, I'm about two weeks into that. I, I see sales reps. Um, I'm, right now I'm seeing about two or three sales reps a week and they come here and they travel to the bookstore and meet with me. Um, and I decide what the store is going to have on the shelves in the fall. So these books will arrive probably between late September and Christmas. Yes. Okay. So, um, I mean, I just feel like that's an important thing for people to know because uh, as an author or, you know, somebody who's not intimately involved with how books ship, yeah. it's like very perplexing as to why things have to take so long and be so, you know, <laughs> have so long time. Oh, totally. like I promise, you know, yeah. We just because you think of something doesn't mean it's going to become a real book by the end of the year in bookshops. Right. Like, yeah, I mean it takes a lot of time. Right. The pu- I mean, you, I'm sure you've talked extensively about the, pu- the the slowness of the publishing process, but then even like the the physical part. I mean, they're only going to print as many books as they think that they're going to sell. And they don't know how many they're going to sell until the buyers tell them how many they're going to buy. So, you know, a lot of print runs are determined by how many copies bookstores and BNN and Amazon commit to buying. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so your knowledgeable and amazing sales reps visit you yes. or you have a call with them. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare for that um, sales call? So we all use a system called Edelweiss. I don't know if you've talked much about that in, on the show, um, but it is a digital catalog system that um, basically at this point, almost everyone uses all, certainly all the, all the big publishers use it um, where basically I can go to one website and I can see all of the catalogs there and they can put up, uh, if it's a picture book, they can put up the entire picture book there for me to read. They can put up an advanced reader copy, a digital one for me to download. Um, They have all the marketing assets, all of the publicity plans for that book right in one place. So I go in um, when I have a rep coming in, I usually 
start looking at their catalog like a week ahead of time, maybe a couple days ahead of time if I'm a little behind, which I am often. Um, <laughs> and I go through their catalog and I, and I literally, I put my order into the website. Um, I put, I do the full order. Every buyer works a little differently, but I put in everything that I expect to buy. Um, mm. and then when the publisher's rep arrives, usually they'll have looked at my numbers ahead of time and they'll have tagged titles that they want to talk about. So uh, either books I maybe didn't take and should, um, books where I might want to go a little higher because maybe uh, maybe this book requires extra time to reprint. So it's a one shot, as they say, uh, which means like I have one chance to order it. And after those copies I've bought sell out, there won't be any more because of how long it takes to reprint it or it's printed overseas or it's got like, gold leaf in it or something fancy. Um, so we talk about that. We, you know, we talk about what books might, we might be wanting to request for author events. Um, and, you know, the sales calls over, over the 10 years that I've been buying have really transformed with the digital age. I mean, we used to have physical catalogs where I'd handwrite everything and the rep would come and I would read them my order. Um, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really manual. And now, and now the calls are much shorter because we can just talk about the books that we need to talk about. We don't have to talk about everything. Right. Do you have like an overall philosophy about how you choose books and curate the selection? Oh, that's tricky. I mean, mostly it's let's, and yeah. let's talk specifically about the kids section. Sure, sure. For me, it's really like, okay, what books do my customers want to read? <laughs> you know, um, you know, what, who, who are my customers? What are they interested in? What's popular with kids right now? What, um, you know, like Wimpy Kid was huge. And then the, all the diary style books came out like the, I don't want to call them copycats because some of them are, are really special. Um, but that sort of diary style book was huge for a number of years. So like following trends, um, but really like, you know, I want my shelves to be filled with great books. The kids are going to love to read. Well, and you're creating the trend in a way. I mean, we live in a pretty small town. and uh, Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I mean, if you decided to go all in on something, you might guide your customer's taste Absolutely. in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, you know, the books that we have a giant display of, we're kind of making a statement with that, with that saying this is a book that you should check out. What are kind of things that are pretty much oblong bait? Like what would trigger an auto buy for you? Oh my gosh. I mean, well, you know, we it also, I think staff picks is also part of this. So the books that our staff has read and loved, um, I'm thinking, in, you know, the first book that jumps to mind for me is Thing About Jellyfish, which is a few years old now, but um, was such a wonderful book and such a great book to hand sell. And then I think the trend of Wonder, even though Wonder came out first, um, you know, that tale, the long tale of Wonder and the movie it's like, okay, well, everyone read Wonder. What else can they read? Oh, they can read Thing About Jellyfish because it's going to make you cry your face off, but in a good way. Um, <laughs> so that's that's part of it. That's, you know, books with a great emotional hook, um, I think are fun. And then also just like great adventure stories. You know, I mean, I think what Rick Riordan is doing with his Rick Riordan Presents series is pretty cool. Um, and the first one just came out in that. And I'm, ex- you know, so far it's sold pretty well. Um, yeah. but I'm, I'm excited for new voices and, and new stuff. Yeah. I mean, I would say also what I think of Oblong Bay is a local author. Oh, totally. Like anything set in the Hudson Valley, like, yeah, forget it. Of course, we should need to have a pilot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Local authors are, are awesome. And probably, I would say, I mean, just 
based on the fact that I touch most of these books. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's definitely a social justice kind of bent. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. which, which I like. Yeah. Um, so you do all these meetings with all these publishers. Then a few months later, all these beautiful, shiny new books arrive, <laughs> which is amazing. But here's the tricky part. You can't just have a bookstore with shiny books from this season. Mm-hmm. You got to have a robust backlist. Yes. And there has to be physical room for all those books. Yeah. So what do you do? It's like Jenga 24-7. I know. <laughs> My, uh, yeah. It is. There is a Jenga aspect, but I was thinking more of Return. returns. <laughs> womp, womp. womp, womp. I mean, I really, <laughs> I don't, I don't really womp, womp when it comes to returns. I'm like more like, yay, returns, <laughs> um, which I know makes I authors hurt stop. But, you know, I know it's part of but, the ecosystem. It's just like the natural ebb and flow of the book business. It's nothing personal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it makes all the books that are there sell better. Like when you fluff the section and make it pretty and yeah. take out things that there's too much of yep. and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, we do returns kind of all the time, we do them by publisher. Um, cause that's how you have to send them back. And, um, you know, I honestly, the computer, I, you know, basically I, I asked the computer to give me a report of books from this publisher that haven't sold in X amount of time or have been on our shelves for X amount of time. But then I actually physically go in and edit that list. Um, I don't let the computer dictate what we return. Uh, It gives me a starting point and then I choose from those books. Um, So there are certain books that I'm never going to return. Like I think there was a copy of, oh gosh, you know what? We don't don't sell very much of anymore. Number of the Stars by Lois Lowry. And we just sold Mm. a copy finally. (laughs) And we hadn't sold a copy in two years. Um, so, but I didn't return that book. Whereas pretty much if that were almost any other book, if it wasn't a classic, I would have sent it back by now. Um, mm. Because you got to have Number of the Stars. You know what? You've got to have it. It's a great book. It's That's a important book. Um, and I'm going to reorder it, even though I might not sell it again till 2020. Um, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. sentimentality can sometimes rule over brutal efficiency. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are stores, there are books that I think a bookstore would be a bad bookstore if they didn't have Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Like number of the stars, or like make way for ducklings, right. or whatever. You got to have it. Yeah. I mean, it might not Even be a popular book, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's it's in, for me a bookstore with a great backlist is a great bookstore. Um, you know, I, I visit a lot of stores, and the stores that just have have new stuff and don't really have that depth, they're just they just don't connect for me the way the stores do that whose shelves are filled with great books. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to be able to, if I love an author's brand new shiny book, yeah. I want to be able to go and read everything else they've wrote. Oh, <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone did explain it to me once this way, because if authors are like, I don't get it. Why do you have to return my book? So <laughs> this is my thing of like the brutal efficiency. Yes, okay. Please. So each book is paying rent for its space on the shelf. Exactly. So if you need to turn four copies of a book a year, that means that for a $8.99 paperback, your rent is 10 cents a day. Wow. And for a $21.99 hardcover, your rent is 25 cents a day. If you're not making the nut, <laughs> like if you can't pay that 10 cents a day or 25 cents a day, eventually you're going to get returned. Like maybe one copy can stay, but you can't have a stack of 10 copies of books exactly. that are not making yeah I you mean, know, it just does, it doesn't make sense I mean I, I my brain can't handle thinking about it in that granular of a way because we carry about 30,000 <laughs> different books but yeah. um, you know like honestly it's real estate I mean 
if, if I have like a, a huge pile of books, that's the same book and I haven't sold them in three, six months, I, eh, I need to put a book there that's going to sell. Like it's totally yeah. bonkers. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, say, I leave plenty of books on the shelf too long, mostly because I'm behind okay. on returns. Well, and the other thing is I do feel like in the kids section, particularly mm-hmm. so many books succeed by dint of word of mouth. Yeah. So like a lot of times on the adult side, something will either hit the New York Times bestseller list or it won't. Um, Whereas on the kids' side, I feel like sometimes something's out for six months or nine months, and then kids start to talk about it. And then, you know, suddenly it rolls into a bigger hit. Yep, absolutely. Um, So I do like to give a little bit more time for those kids. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely less ruthless with the kids' books. But then then the the shelves get too full and nobody can put any new books on them. And it's, you know, yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah, things get damaged (laughs) when there's too, you know. Come on, I'm good. (laughs) Okay, so hot topic. Mm -hmm. Ooh, scandaloso. (laughs) So there have been a lot of recent... scandals yeah. about various authors if you know you're alexis you're dashners you're yeah you're uh etc <laughs> um do these types of news events influence the way you buy or what you return i mean of course you know i mean i'm i you know for those folks basic i didn't you know i'm never gonna it's gonna I, I never pull a book off my shelves that's just not something i do uh as a bookseller i think it's important like once i made the choice to put the book in the store it's going to stay there until it either sells or gets returned and it's natural ecosystem um you know but when i sell out of those books maybe i won't reorder them or i won't reorder more than one at a time for me you know i i can't be responsible for the actions of every author whose books i carry like i like i have no way of knowing everything about everyone's book, every, everyone's personal life, everyone's, you know, there's probably a lot of books by a lot of jerks in my store, you know, <laughs> jerks of all kinds, men, women, you know, terrible people probably have a lot of space on our shelves. But I like, I, yeah, I just can't keep up with that. To be clear, most of the authors with books on our shelves are lovely. Oh my God, 99, 99%. <laughs> Let's be serious. I have a lot of books on my shelves. So, um, yeah. But, um, you know, I, yes, will I be less excited the next time they have a new book out? Sure. Will I not support it the way I would have had I, had I not known how terrible they were? Of course. Um, but yeah, but, oh, it's just, it just stinks. It's a whole terrible thing. And, um, but I'm not going to give them, uh, give them the level of support that I would have otherwise previously. Yeah. And I mean, let's face facts. Most of these things regular customers don't know anything about. I mean, it's something that we're publishing, we're following in the publishing trades and stuff like that. But I don't think most people have heard of this stuff. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's, so yeah. they still want to buy the books. They should be able to buy the books. Yep. Yeah, definitely. What about books about topics that you personally might find distasteful or whatever? Well, for me, it's more about like, what do my customers want to read about? Um, you know, we tend to live in a fairly liberal area and most of our, a lot of our customers are like liberal New York folks. So generally speaking, we tend to sell books with a more liberal bent more so than we would sell conservative books, but I still carry some conservative books. I'm not, you know, I want to have a book for everybody. Um, so I, you know, I, 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 it's important to me to be inclusive on both sides. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, that said, I think we have stopped carrying Ann Coulter for, for, for a few years. We would have like a one copy of her um, because, you know, you'd have that one person come in and if you didn't have her book, they would like ream you out. 
Um, <laughs> and then I think I just decided that I didn't care about that one person anymore. Um, because the well, book didn't sell. Special, that's also the end of the story. If they're, if they're that into it, they could ask you to get oh, one for you. Totally. Yeah. Um, what, I guess the question is, is there a line between curating and censorship? Oh, that's tricky. I mean, I think those are different things. I mean, curation is is a natural thing in our business because I literally can't sell every book in physically in my store. There's no space. There's so many books that come out every year. There's no way I can have them all. And that would also be a pretty boring store. Um, you know, mm. a store that has personality, that has character, and that someone has carefully chosen the books in it has got to be more interesting. Um, and as far as censorship, I mean, that, and for me, that would be like me pulling all of someone's books out of the store if they did something terrible, um, which I would never do. <laughs> so that hot topic section is over. You live. So really? Um, now, <laughs> here is the best part, which is book recommendation oh, time. Oh, my God. Okay. So what is a backlist favorite that you think everyone should read? <sighs> the Penderwicks. I love the Penderwicks, Jen. <laughs> Me too. Um, I mean, I like when I first read the Penderwicks, which I did on audio. So I, if you're a podcast person, you probably like audiobooks. So the audios are fantastic. Um, when I first listened to Penderwicks, I, I, it made me feel the way I imagine a young girl would have felt reading Little Women when it was new. <laughs> which might be overhyping it slightly, but, uh, you know, I'm an only child, so I didn't grow up with sisters and like the thought of having like three sisters and they're all really quirky, different personalities and like this great dog and like the boy next door and summertime adventures. These were things I did not have (laughs) just kind of being a lonesome only child. And I absolutely loved it. And I love how in each book in the series, the kids age, um, and you know, the dad falls in love again. It's just, it's so lovely. Um, and I, I will sell that book until the day I die. Yes. <laughs> and I would say next, if you have read the Penderwick series and you're thirsty for another family type series, you need to read the Casson family series by Hillary McKay, Ooh. uh, which are unbelievable and i will put a link and i'll actually send you the link too yes Susanna, since we don't have them in the oh store my gosh. well let's fix that <laughs> i know i know uh, someone who can fix that yes um okay so now what are a few new kids or ya books yeah. and who would they be perfect for? okay so um the first one i want to mention is ghost boys by jewel parker rhodes which i think just came out in april uh, a few weeks ago um, Jewel Parker Rhodes is, uh, the most incredible human. She, um, wrote Towers Falling and her new book is about a boy who has been killed, um, by a police officer. Uh, he's 12 and, uh, a police officer sees his toy gun and thinks it's real. And that's what happens before the book starts and the book starts and you are getting alternating chapters of what happened to lead up to this and alternating with chapters of this boy experiencing life as a ghost after this happens and watching his family deal with it and his friends. Oh, it is. I literally just got, it chills. is, um, it's like 
under 200 pages. It is so beautiful and heartbreaking and so important. Like this is one of these books that's going to be taught in schools for, you know, 50 years. Um, but it is a hard, I mean, it's a hard read, but it, she, she gets you through it. You know, she's, she's the person whose hands you want to be in for this story. Um, so that's, that's one for, you know, for your, for your kids who can handle some serious stuff. Uh, it's recommended for 10 and up. Um, and if you have a kid who can handle that story, you will know whether or not you do. <laughs> not, not every kid is going to, going to connect to this book immediately, but, um, but it's pretty amazing. So that's one, uh, one pick. And then the other one I wanted to mention is Julian is a mermaid. I knew you were going to mention that. <laughs> and I actually don't, oh, I don't have the author and illustrator in front of me. Should I look at Jessica? Love Thank you. Wrote and um, and it is this, oh, you know, I don't want to describe it incorrectly, but I, I guess I would sort of describe it as sort of an Afro-Caribbean story of a boy. Um, a, how would you describe it, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> and this was literally for you. Oh, to shoot. Um, I would say it's about a little boy in, uh, in New York City yes. who sees some ladies who are dressed as mermaids going to the mermaid parade in Coney Island yes. and, um, and becomes obsessed with them and wants to also dress up. And he and his abuela, um, he does dress up and his abuela takes him to the mermaid parade, which sounds like it's a very small story. Um, but in, in between all these pages, you get to sort of live in Julian's fantasy life. And it's beautiful. Yes. I mean, the illustrations are, I like I like heart stoppingly beautiful. I just I totally loved it. Uh, any other great new books that you need to? I would mention? also just have one more if I if I may, um, which is I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce her name correctly. I hope Vera Broskall. Um, her new oh. graphic novel, Be Prepared, which is yes. so great. It came out last week, I think, and um, it's a it's about a girl going to summer camp for the first time. Um, I think it's, it's set in the nineties, I believe. And, um, the, the summer camp that she sent to is a, like a Russian Orthodox summer camp. <laughs> uh, and it is, it like immediately brought me back to summer camp as a kid and how like traumatic slash transformative it had been <laughs> to attend. I honestly cannot believe that you went to summer right, camp. Right. Cause of how much I hate the outside. <laughs> Yeah, you so, won't. Hey, I've gotten a lot better. better. <laughs> My boyfriend is a biologist, so he's been dragging me outside. <laughs> We're all working together to get me, me over my phobias. Um, well, that's true. That's why I started with the traumatic because um, I did very much dislike summer camp. Uh, though, though I was forced to attend it, I hated it so much. And this book like made me like feel so uncomfortable <laughs> in, a in a good, good way. way. But, like, but most kids have a great time at summer camp. So um, this is going to be a great book for them. But I, it's also, it's also, there's, there's enough bad stuff that happens to her for the kids who hate summer camp to be like, yeah, I told you so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think any fan of like, yes. like all of the roller girl and that yes, kind of thing. Absolutely. It's super fun and it's hilarious. And she's a great artist. Oh, I, I'm obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, um, leave me alone is one of our staff picks like very well, staff picks like i think three of us have picked it as staff picks, and it won a caldeca honor oh. it's amazing okay so i ask this every episode 
Um, what are you obsessed oh, with? Right. It does not have to be bookish, but it can be. However, I'm going to start to give you time to uh, figure okay. out what you're obsessed with. Right. I will tell you mine. So mine is this BBC police show that just arrived on Netflix called Death in Ooh. Paradise. Yes, it is set on a small Caribbean island in which a very fussy English police inspector has been assigned to help the local cops solve crimes. And it, like he refuses to wear anything but a suit and dress shoes, even though it's a million degrees and he's on a beach. He's constantly boiling hot. He's baffling locals because he needs tea and roast beef rather than rum and mangoes. <laughs> um, it is somewhat formulaic in the old-fashioned murder mystery sense. Like, it's like murder she wrote or something. You know, the murders are not gory. Right. But it also has the humor of a fish-out-of-water story and the attraction of being set in this gorgeous location with a diverse, amazing, hilarious cast. So this is not demanding television, but it is really easy and fun escapism. Oh, I love it. Death in Yes, definitely. I called my mom and I was like, you need to watch the show. Because <laughs> she loves murder mysteries and stuff. What I don't like about murder mysteries is when yeah. they're really dark and like, mm-hmm. I can't handle that. But this has uh, got a very light touch and it's humorous and a delight. Oh. So, Susanna, okay. what are you oh, obsessed man, this with? This is like, this is a tricky one. So... I did tell you you were, and you've listened to this podcast, so you know. I know. You knew this was coming. But I I still, I feel like my answer is going to be unsatisfactory, (laughs) but I will, I will answer it with what I feel like I'm obsessed with today, um, which is the Broadway musical Once on this Island. So this, I'm a big theater nerd, as I previously mentioned, and I see everything. Like I see as much theater as my wallet can afford me. Um, And this past season of Broadway theater was not, not the best. There's some, some stuff that was good, but there wasn't like, like, which is fine. That happens. That's like, that's a natural ebb and flow of theater. Um, But the show that after seeing all, I've seen like every musical that opened this season, except for, I think, um, Oh, what did I skip? I skipped My Fair Lady because I have a personal aversion to My Fair Lady. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hate it. Um, but, you know, sorry. No, no, oh. no, no, no offense. Um, but, so my favorite show. <laughs> Listen, Henry yeah. Higgins. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so my favorite show this year after seeing all the shows was is Once on This Island, which is um, a one-act musical um, set on a Caribbean island. It's a fairy tale. It's the story of this girl. It's sort of like a little mermaid. Um, it's the story of this girl who falls in love with this boy and decides she's going to do everything she can to be with him, but they just are not meant to be. Um, and then there's like the gods are interfering with her life. And it is the most beautiful physical production I have seen in, I don't know, five years. Um, the stage is covered in sand. There's water on stage. The costumes are crazy. Um, the music is beautiful. The performers are incredible. Leia Salonga is in it from Miss Saigon fame. Yeah. What? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, that. it's like the oh kind of God. show that you leave, you leave and you just feel like your body is filled with light, um, which doesn't happen. So wow. <laughs> um, that is my end. Yeah. end um, and you should go see it because I don't know how long it's going to run. So, well, it was well, nominated, it was nominated for, for Tony, several right? Tonys. So I'm, I have my fingers crossed, but it's up against Carousel and My Fair Lady for Best Revival of a Musical. 
I mean, oh, I know it should, it should win, even though win. I haven't seen My Fair Lady. It should definitely win over Carousel. No, I don't need to see. I don't need <laughs> to see My Fair Lady or Carousel to know their gender dynamics. Well, oh, are let's messed be honest. Up. The ones on this island's pretty messed up too. But at least it's at well, least it's gorgeous. Look, <laughs> not everything can be perfect. Ones on this island for the win. Um, and I like that we both picked yeah. Caribbean themes. I think it's because it's been so hot we here feel like that we're, we're like there. <laughs> mentally putting ourselves yes, on an please. island. Um, well, Susanna, oh, thank you so Jen. much for joining me. Yeah. And I'll see you soon. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks again to my guest, Susanna Hermans from Oblong Books and Music. Susanna can be found on Twitter at Oblong Girl. I can be found on Twitter at Literati Cat. This podcast does have a Patreon. Chip in a buck and you just might win some books. That can be found at patreon.com slash literati cat. Just so you know, I'm not making any money on this podcast, but the Patreon keeps me from losing too much money and enables me to continue bringing the podcast to you. If you like the podcast, please do subscribe on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. And please feel free to leave a review as that helps more folks find us. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.